Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavrutza Yerdina Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Shkalim, daf tet vav. Um, we are finishing, Perek Hey, right? We've gotten this number be- wrong before. Yerdina, I know you were going to talk about this. It just, it was my goof. I will correct it here. We're finishing Perek Hey and beginning Perek Vav. Um, and somewhere along the way, we got lost in the numbers. I, I will just say in our own defense that any of you who are reading all of the DAPIM with us, uh, you know that these pages are very long and we are recording two a day so that we can make sure that we keep up to date with all of the holiday. So forgive us this day and please God, we will you know, resume um, regularly scheduled, um, what would we call it, precision uh, after all of this is over. Okay, in that case, or in that vein, I'm going to start here with Halacha Dalad. Um, on Ahmed Aleph, it says basically very quickly that there were two different chambers, and one was the chamber there was one that was for the secret gifts, and the other was for the vessels. People would give gifts secretly; they would put in money, you know, and and other donations privately, so that and then the people who needed that money could take from it also you know, with discretion. And of course, and just quickly, the chamber of the vessels, right? Anybody who would donate a vessel to the, to the Beit Mikdash would put it off, they would drop it off inside of that lishka, in that chamber. And then every 30 days, anything that they found that they could use that was useful for the temple maintenance, they would use it. And if it was something that was not useful, then they would sell it and use the funds for Bedekabayat, for the temple maintenance. Um, we've been talking about temple maintenance quite a fair bit, um, particularly in the last park, I would say. Um, okay, so that whole discussion, right? That's that's the halacha, that's the Mishnah. And it's fairly brief, frankly, for a change. And it simply talks about these gifts and how people would conduct themselves. Then what happens in the rest of the daf here, not the whole daf, but this Next, what follows immediately is several different discussions and these, you know, very nice stories of giving to the poor and what one gains from giving to the poor and so on. And then we come to this story, which I actually found to be a bit traumatic. Um, I'll explain as we go. Uh, it begins, we'll talk about, we're not going to talk too much about who he was. Um, just the fact is his name was Nachum. He was from Gimzu. He was known more dramatically, perhaps, for saying, Everything happens for the best. We'll see how that aligns up with the story. Right. But I just want to point out that that's kind of a play on words of where he's from. Like he's from Gimzu, but that's why he's also sometimes called Nachum Ish Gamzu, like Gamzu Latova. Right, right. And also, Um, sorry, one more thing, because, you know, I like my biographies, but then I'll let you go on. Um, It's important to know that he was a teacher of Rabbi Akiva and he there's a later on Gemara's in, in Shfuya where it talks about how he taught uh, Rabbi Akiva the principle of um, of Rebud Umiut, but we'll talk about that when we get there. <laughs> okay, we're going to see him interact with Rabbi Akiva on this stuff as well. Um, okay, so Nachum Ish Gamzu Hayam Olich Doron Levet Chamav. So what happened? He was bringing a gift that's Doron, that's the word that means gift, to his father in law's house. Hagabo muke shchin echad. Muke shchin is somebody who has shchin, who has boils, right? So someone who is afflicted with the boils meets him on the way. Amarle, and he says to him, 
So give me from what you're carrying. Give me from what you're taking with you. Meaning this gift that he's bringing to his father-in-law's house. The man is begging. And Nachum Ishgamzu says, Amarle mechuzur. When I come back, meaning as I'm returning, I'll give you something. Chazur, he chazer, sorry, he chazer, he comes back. Vashkechemit. He found that the guy with the boils has died. And what that means is that this man was on death's door already, right? On his way to his father-in-law's house. The man that he's encountered is already on his last legs, perhaps from starvation, right? That's a hypothesis, uh, not mine. Um, that is, you know, that's why he's asking for the, whatever the gift is that he's bringing to his father-in-law, presumably it's some kind of, you know, some kind of food. And then, of course, he's terribly upset. He's, he says about him, right? I mean, he's all guilty, you know, and for having not responded to him more immediately. And so he says, Sorry for the Aramaic, that's what it says here. Meaning these eyes, my eyes that saw you and didn't give you food, they should be blinded. It says, my hands that did not stretch forth to give you food, let them be cut off. The feet, my feet that did not run to give you food, let them be broken. And all of this came to happen. Meaning, in fact, he went blind and his hands were broke. His hands were, well, I don't know if they were cut off, but they were somehow broken. His feet were broken. Right, these part of this is the era. Part of this is the kind of torture that might happen in the when the Romans are in charge, and but the whole of it is this like the overwhelming. And this is where I found it a little bit. This is the beginning of where I found it a little bit traumatic. That there's this tremendous guilt to which extent he says, "Let me do the suffering," and what's of course upsetting about it is that it it came to pass. Right, that he says it and it came to pass. Sleek like a baby Akiva, and then Rabbi Akiva again. This Talmud of of Nachamish Gamzu comes to visit him and he's trying to console him. Amar Eli Rabbi Kiva says to him, you know, Oi Li, woe is me that I see you in this way, that I see you like this. Amar Eli And Nachum says to him, Woe is me that I do not see you like this, meaning with this, all the suffering. Amar Ma at Makalini. Rabbi Kiva says back to Nachum, he says, why are you cursing me? Which is a very strong statement when you recall how Rabbi Akiva dies, right? He dies because the Romans uh, really put him through suffering, right? They flayed his skin with iron combs. He did not have an easy end. And Nachamish Gamzu says to him, and why are you rejecting suffering? Meaning suffering is an atonement. Suffering provides some kind of relief. There's an advantage, according to Nachamish Gamzu, for suffering, which is an interesting foil, I think, almost to his phrase of gamzulatova, to see suffering. I don't know that he says it about suffering, right? I mean, he doesn't. But the fact that it ends up being his, his profound and, to me, as I said, a little bit traumatic statement is in favor of suffering. Um, when you put it together with a statement of everything happens for the best, uh, it's a little bit jarring. Well, I look, I think this is a particular type of personality and perspective. We usually associate it mostly with Rabbi Akiva. So when we get these stories with Rabbi Akiva and Nachum Ishkamzu, 
it's, you know, the teacher who really taught this to him, this sort of optimistic view of life that everything is for good. And even this encounter at the end where he basically says, like, don't take my Yisurin away from me, right? Like, don't tell me that I'm suffering needlessly. I'm supposed to be suffering. This is what was supposed to be happening to, to me. And I think about this. That's a much more generous read than I was giving it. I, I will tell I you know, that. but, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, I, I think back to yesterday's death, which I think had an interesting passage on Sadiq Varallo. Uh, this is a particular perspective and, and the Gemara certainly embraces it and shares many stories. This is not the only story like this, but I think it's interesting. But he doesn't say it here. He doesn't say it should all be for the good. He says, I'm suffering, right? I mean, he's owning the suffering. He wants to suffer. He wants, he did but, that, but I think that's the point. The suffering isn't bothering him. He deserves to suffer. That's his perspective on himself. It's, it's not a typical Jewish attitude. Okay, uh, I'll give you that. But I feel like the... The fact that he wants to suffer because he wants to be punished is a really different approach than saying everything is for the best. Yes, right? I everything agree. But I think it's all that. on that. I, I think it's all a spectrum there. Like for him to say to Rabbi Akiva, you know, for Rabbi Akiva to say to him, you're cursing me. And then Nachum says back to him, why are you spurning my afflictions? Right. Why are you, you know, he he understood he did something wrong and he deserves this affliction. I think it's all sort of part of the same attitude. And again, I agree with you. I think all of this is supposed to really make us think about Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Akiva's end as well. Which he And yet when we come to Rabbi Akiva's end, right, we, you know, we will talk about this when we get to Menachot. It's not for a long, long time. But right, there's this Gemara that says where Moshe Rabbeinu is shown the death of Rabbi Akiva. And the backstory to that is not necessary right now. But, but basically Moshe Rabbeinu says to God, you know, this is the man of this tremendous amount of learning that Rabbi Kiva had. Vizus Haran, this is his end. And God says, I'm not explaining myself to you. Right. Meaning we are not supposed to think that Rabbi Kiva deserved that end. Right. Um, but I think it's interesting to see how, um, right, when that passage comes, it's really a theological comment on some of those issues. Here, it's just sort of a story to be like, look, he deserved punishment and he got his punishment that he deserved. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I, I, know, I, I understand here, right? why the story is bothersome, but it, it does fit his personality. It fits the personality of Rabbi Akiva. It's a particular perspective. It's one that I certainly struggle with. This is not my attitude in life at all. Um, and I, I just, I just shuddered when I realized that this is basically he's cursing. Nachum Ishgams with the Rabbi of or one of the Rabbim of Rabbi Akiva curses him. And then he gets that kind right. of suffering. Yeah, it's, just, uh, it, it, you know. it's a difficult story. Um, I'm going to move on now to Perak Vav. And yes, it's Perak Vav. Yesterday we were behind the Perak. But, um, <laughs> but I'm moving on to Perak Vav. And, uh, you know, there's a very nice, uh, the Halakha, the Mishnah here, talks about, since we talked about the number of collection chests uh, that were in the previous Perak, they're going to give us some other numbers here of, of other things uh, items that were in the Beit HaMikdash. Loshasar, Shofarot, there were 13 collection chests. And remember, the Gemara is going to explain that, you know, the, the collection chests look like a shofar, wide on the top to collect the money, narrow on the bottom. So somebody could not, um, uh, sorry, narrow on the top and wide on the bottom. I got it mixed up. You know, sort of stick your hand in um, and steal the money itself. Um, Shloshasar, Shulchanot, 
there were 13 tables um, and uh, the tables will be talked about later in a different Mishnah. And there were 13 places where somebody could uh, prostrate them, prostrate themselves. Um, and again, this will all get explained later on in another Mishnah. Right. Then they add Shel Beit Rabban Gamliel, Shel Rabbi Hananya Skan Hakohanim. Right. They they had their own special place where they would bow. They they did this in a fourteenth place. Where was that additional place? Keneged Dir Haitzim, opposite the wood chamber. Nas, because they had a particular tradition from their ancestors uh, that that's where the Aron was hidden. So just to point out that at the time of the second Beit HaMikdash, there actually was no Aron anymore, right? Once the Aron disappears, and the Gemara is going to talk about that, um, after the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash, there's no Aron for the second Beit HaMikdash. So there was an incident with a certain Kohen who was mitasek. He was sort of busying himself, right? Presumably this is by the wood chamber. So they're explaining how they got this Masorah. And he noticed that one of the, something about the floor was different than the others, right? So you can picture this in a movie, what this would look like, that, you know, part of the floor either is depressed or elevated, but it looks different. It's not smooth and looks like the rest of the, the floor around it. He came and said to his colleagues, Loki speak like Moritadavar, Nishmato. So he's about to tell his colleagues what he discovered and that he thinks that maybe the iron is hidden there, and he doesn't even get to get it out because his soul departs. And it was there that they knew that obviously the Aaron was hidden. So, you know, we there, we've seen in, in popular culture and movies and books so much discussion over, you know, where is the Aaron, what happened to the things in the Beit HaMikdash, but we see that this really was something that was discussed or thought about even in the times of the Mishnah itself. And then interestingly, the Gemara, and I'm not going to read all of it inside, you know, goes through a few different machlokot even about the Aaron itself, right? One machlokot is what happened to the Aaron itself, right? One opinion being that it actually went to Babel, one opinion being, no, that it was actually buried, and that's obviously the opinion of this Mishnah that's in Shkalim. Um, and then also how many Aarons were there, right? Was there one Aaron or was there two Aarons? The two Aaron opinion being that there was an Aaron that had the broken Luchot and that was the one that sort of went out with B'nai Israel, And then there was one with sort of the intact Luchot and that was the one that stayed inside the Mishkan uh, itself. Um, and I don't know, I just, when I'm reading this page, it just seems like there are certain major events or fundamentals to the religion that you just can't believe there's actually a machlokas over. Like they really didn't know if there was one or two Aarons, like, or where the Aaron really ended up. I'm not saying the idea that it was buried and we don't know the actual location that I totally, you know, could see, but the idea that we don't know if it was, you know, in Babel or if it was buried, I, I just find fascinating that these things were still had an element of uncertainty to them. I think you make a fair point. On the other hand, I feel like it kind of attests to, you know, a, a different world, right? In terms of how, you know, if you weren't in that place, you wouldn't have known type of thing. And then also the, the chain of transmission for all that it is so preserved was choppier, I think, than, than we ever really want to accept, right? Like, I think this is one of those, those things where 
that's the only real explanation because otherwise, why wouldn't they have a direct Masora, a direct trans- tradition of exactly what happened? Right. And I think we understand, obviously, why something like that does need to sort of be hidden or mysterious. I think it does add sort of to the, um, you know, holiness of what that particular item is. But it's even interesting to see like how they sort of prove, you know, where it went. Did it go to Babel? Was it buried? Trying to prove it from Sukim. Uh, and that this Masoa was not, there wasn't one Masoa around these issues. You know, there were different opinions about it. I, I just find so, just just really interesting. You would think it, it, this would just be something that was known. I mean, where would we be without the mystery when it comes to, you know, blockbuster videos Th- and that all that? That is for sure true. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Eat Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff and some of its mysteries on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.